This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Good morning. We, we have a shorter passage today. It's 1 Peter uh, 1, 10 through 12. All right, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. Good morning, saints, those present and those who are watching online. I'm thankful to the worship team for a powerful time of worship. So I want to first start by thanking the elders and particularly Scott for his word to us last week, the way he handled that text and fed us so well. Heard from one of the elders, it was anointed, the sermon was anointed, and when I listened to it, I agreed wholeheartedly. We saw last week that Scott taught from verses 6 through 9 that suffering precedes glory. Very important principle that we need to understand, not just in this book, but throughout the the whole of, of uh, of the Bible. Suffering precedes Glory, the trials you're going through, Peter writes, to all we who are elect exiles is for the very purpose that we and others may see that our faith is genuine and that it may result in, as Peter wrote, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's going to repeat that theme today as he says the Spirit told the prophets about what was to come. In the Old Testament, they were told that the sufferings of Christ would come and the subsequent glories. Suffering precedes glories. It did for Christ and it does for us. Suffering is not intended to precede deconstruction of our faith. Remember when John the Baptist was in the prison? It was in prison, right? And, and he knew his life was short and he started to have maybe some questions, some doubts even, maybe some waves of unbelief were crashing over his head. And so he sent one of his disciples to Jesus and he asked a question. John the Baptist wants to know, are you the one to come or do we look for another? Now this is the same John the Baptist who not long before that had pointed at his cousin as he was walking along and said to those around him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And yet in that prison, In that isolation, in that time of darkness, he began to have questions. And I love this. What did he do when he had questions? He sent someone to Jesus. He didn't ask his cellmates. He didn't ask the guards in the prison. What do you think about Jesus, you know? Well, I don't know. I've heard about him. I don't believe in him. No, he he sent someone to Jesus to to, so that he could deconstruct his doubt. That's what we need to do when we have when we're thinking about deconstructing anything. Deconstruct doubt. Deconstruct unbelief. And Jesus helped him do that. He said, "Tell John's disciple that the blind receive, or tell John, uh, tell John the Baptist, the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers 
are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor of good news preached to them. And listen, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one when trials come and when sufferings happen does not turn his back on me because I have not changed. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am for you in that trial. And I'm for you through that trial. Tell him, don't be offended by me, John. I'm the one. You don't need to look for anyone else. Let's look at this passage today under three main points. Prophets searched, apostles preached, and angels dream. And I'll tell you, the first point is by far the longest. Prophets searched. Uh, this, this text starts with concerning this salvation. And so the question is, what salvation, Peter? What are you talking about? The only one, right? The eternal salvation, the salvation that came from God in heaven and was made in effect by Jesus on earth, God the Son. The salvation that we have only tasted in part, but the fullness awaits us as Scott preached and is kept for us in heaven, right? He has reminded them that, we are, that they are born again to a living hope. Hey, he, this is where you are now, readers. This is where you are now, Antioch. You who belong to Jesus, you are, have been, will be born again to a living hope. It is past, present, and the future from the day that you said yes to Jesus and really from eternity because he chose you. You are born again to a living hope. That's where you are now. And it's because of the blood of Jesus. You've been sprinkled by the blood. Remember that in the first couple of verses of the book. And now, and now Peter looks all the way back to the Old Testament to help us see the plan and the purpose of God for his people is from the beginning. This salvation was not kept secret until Jesus appeared on the scene. Was it concealed and hidden a little bit in the old? Yes, but it wasn't a secret. The salvation that God planned from eternity past was revealed in the Old Testament to his prophets. God sent the Spirit. It's interesting. Peter says the Spirit of Christ came to tell the prophets about the Christ, right? The Spirit is the eternally, he's the one who is sent by the Father and by the Son. John chapter, I think it's John chapter 10, Jesus talks about it. Maybe it's 15. Anyway, the, the, the Spirit went to the prophets to tell them what was to come. They knew that Messiah, they knew about a Messiah because that was revealed and they wrote about him, but they didn't understand it fully. That's why Peter says they searched and inquired carefully, right? They wanted to know the person and the time that the Spirit was telling them about. You know, Adam, Adam and Eve were really the first ones to receive the prophecy, and it came from God himself spoken to the serpent, right? Remember that from when we studied Genesis? God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring, and Satan has offspring, all who, who uh, have unbelief towards Jesus are offspring of Satan, and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, that's Jesus, um, and you shall bruise his heel, so in the same day that Adam and Eve fell and all mankind with them, God announced his eternal plan of salvation. It wasn't hidden. It's right there in the beginning, in the garden. And we're given further details about that plan all throughout the New Testament, Old Testament. Let me just read a few of them or talk about a few of them. The, the prophets of old searched and inquired to know the who, the how, and the when, right? They want to know who is this Messiah 
How is he coming and when is he coming? Well, the prophet Micah heard from the Spirit that the ruler of Israel, this is Jesus, would come from Judah and be born where? (laughs) It's not a trick question. Where was Jesus born? Everybody said, thank you. Peter called David a prophet. I saw that hand, Carlene. Peter called David a prophet on the day of Pentecost when he preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Peter said, David, the prophet of old, said, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. David had a glimpse. He had a vision of this future and eternal king of kings and Lord of lords. Isaiah heard from the Spirit that the Messiah would be born of a virgin and that he would suffer and then be glorified. Jeremiah heard God say that he would make a new covenant with his people. And Jeremiah, Hosea, and Zechariah all heard this, all heard this, I will be their God and they will be my people. And then Ezekiel, oh my goodness, Ezekiel. You read that book? Kind of strange, isn't it? Right? The things that Ezekiel saw. But he saw an incredible vision. An incredible vision, a valley of dry bones. He's standing there amongst these skeletons, right? Walking over these dead bones. And, and the Lord speaks to him and says, prophesy to these bones, Ezekiel, and tell these bones to live, right? And this comes true because all the promises of God come true in Christ. All the promises of God have their yes in Jesus Christ. So what is Peter teaching these pilgrims? What is Peter teaching we pilgrims, us exiles? What is he teaching us besides the fact that we are born again, we are co-heirs with Christ, our inheritance is waiting for us in heaven. But besides that, he's, he's teaching us and them that all of Scripture can be trusted. It's the Word of God that can be trusted. It's the word of God that Jeremiah says, it breaks the rock to pieces. Somebody was asking me the other day, how do I I pray for a relative that I know is not born again and they're resistant to it and they don't want to have anything to do with it, but now they're starting to maybe open that door just to crack. I said, pray for them and pray that verse in Jeremiah. It's the word of God that breaks the rock to, to pieces. And when you have an opportunity to speak into their life, speak the word of God. Share with them the Word of God. We had the privilege, Cindy and I last week, to be at Emmanuel Church in Nashville. If you ever go to Nashville, worship on Sunday morning at Emmanuel, where our daughter Susanna goes, and that's the only reason, really, to worship there. No, Ray Ortland Jr., who was pastored there for like 40 years, is now retired, but he's, an, he's a, a leader there. And he was preaching that Sunday. It was, it was the weekend of his and his wife's 50th wedding anniversary. So the whole Orland family was there. And yes, I did get a chance to walk up to Dane Orland after the service and shake his hand and look him in the eye and say, thank you for your book. Oh, my goodness. And we chatted for a few minutes. He asked about the church, and it was great. But I heard Ray Orland preach, and it was wonderful. He told the story of his father giving him a Bible on his 16th birthday, September 7th, 1966. And Ray said to the crowd, I was a knucklehead then. He said, I was on the football team, and it was during two-a-days. You know, I guess it's September 7th. It wouldn't have been two-a-days. But anyway, he was, he was on the football team, and he said, all I really cared about was girls and football. But my father, on my 16th birthday, gave me a Bible. And in the, the, in the cover, he, he wrote this. 
He said, and by the way, he said, I was a knucklehead, but the grace of God, this is encouragement to a lot of us, the grace of God is meant for knuckleheads. Amen, brother. But he said, my father wrote on the inside cover of the Bible, be a student of the Bible and your life will be full of blessings. And then he looked at the crowd like I'm looking at you now and he said, speak this to your children. Speak that to your children. Because 50 years from now, your voice will still be heard. And really, even more than when they were teenagers. <laughs> because he said at the time, I just went, whatever. You know, but he started, eventually he started reading that Bible. And then he had a 40-year ministry of incredible preaching. And he said, and my father was the greatest preacher I have ever heard and known. Well, Peter is teaching the readers the importance of Scripture, which is the Word of God. In fact, he's going to say in the second letter, which Lord willing will do starting in January, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's why we can trust the Scriptures, because all Scripture is what? 2 Timothy 3.16 is breathed out by God, inspired by God. He's showing his readers then part of the understanding that we all have now. We understand that Christ is concealed, but there in the Old Testament. He's revealed in the Gospels. He's explained in the Acts and Epistles, and he is expected in Revelation. So Christ is hidden in plain sight in the Old Testament, isn't he? And the prophets searched and inquired carefully about the Christ says, we have the full revelation of God now in the Bible. At least as much as God wants us to know at this point, right? We'll know a lot more in heaven. But we have the full revelation that God wants us to know right now. But that should not preclude us searching and inquiring carefully just as they did. And everybody said, amen. It's those who dig deep and those who go into the word and study and meditate on it, meditate on it here those wonderful mysteries explained by God. And that's not just for our sake, it's for those who follow us, our children, our grandchildren. But it's also, listen, it's also for the sake of those who watch us in their unbelief. Those relatives, those neighbors, those co-workers, right? Those sports team members who don't believe, they're watching you. Oh, put the word in you so that what comes out of you is seasoned with grace by the word of God so that they will ask you, this is later in 1 Peter, about the hope that they see. They will see our faith is real and that God is for us and we can share with them. Yeah, and he's for you too. Let me tell you how much he's for you. Peter says that the prophets of God, and this is really cool, in in, uh, chat, in verse um 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The prophets came to understand that what they were being told by the Spirit of Christ, they would never see in their lifetime. Peter says to his readers, hey, they were serving you. These, these prophets spent their lives listening to God and reporting what they heard to the people of God and sometimes to the enemies of God. And for their trouble, here's what they got. Hebrews 11 says they were tortured, flogged, stoned, 
sawn in two, killed with a sword, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. He says, of, of these, these men, the, the world was not worthy. And then he writes, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Why? Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. God, God, in other words, said, hey, you guys, I'm I'm giving you a glimpse of what's coming, but I'm not going to give you the whole thing. I'm going to give it to a later generation, and then you will be included as well. I don't want you to get all the good stuff and them not have any. Everybody is going to be brought in, and, and we have the full revelation of what that is. So the prophets searched, and that leads us to the apostles preached. <clears throat> the prophets heard from God and only saw him through visions. But the apostles met God. They saw God the Son face to face and heard him speak and watched him heal and saw him die. They preached Christ and him crucified. In fact, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, he said, this Jesus, he's talking to this crowd who's gathered. They're hearing people speaking in their own languages. They've come from around the world to Jerusalem and they're hearing this amazing thing happening that the Holy Spirit has caused. So Peter stands up there on the colonnades and he begins to preach to them. He says, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from Father, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And so 3,000 people heard that sermon as this apostle preached what the prophets searched and found out. He preached it because he had seen it. He'd walked with him. He'd lived it. He'd seen Jesus in the flesh. And he said, yeah, I know this man. He was crucified, and yet now he has been raised from the dead. 3,000 people heard that sermon that day and became followers of Jesus. They received the grace of the Lord Jesus. But not just big crowds. Paul spoke to a group of women outside of Philippi next to a river. Remember that story? And as he's speaking to these women, we're not told what he said, but it's presumably about Christ. The Bible said the Lord opened whose heart? Remember, he opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said. And listen, this is what it said. She received the grace of the Lord Jesus that day, and she was baptized. And then later, Paul and Silas were beaten and bloody. Talk about suffering. They were beaten and bloody, put in prison for the sake of the gospel. As they sang praises to God at midnight, an earthquake happened and the jail was shaken, and the doors opened up, and their shackles fell off apparently because the jailer saw all this happening, and he took a sword, and he was going to run himself through because these men were going to escape on his watch. And, Pete, and, and Paul saw him do it, and he said, Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, don't do that. We're all here. We haven't left. And the jailer ran over, and he said to him, How can I be saved? Sirs, what must I do? To be saved. You see how suffering preceded glory there? The glory of God was revealed to this Philippian jailer, and he received the grace of the Lord Jesus that night and was baptized. And the story goes on and on and on, as we just sung, until the day the Lord opened your heart to pay attention to what was being preached. It might not have been a Sunday morning when somebody was standing here preaching. 
It might have been as you were reading your, your Bible early one morning or late one night or whatever. Maybe when somebody said something to you at school or at work or in the neighborhood about Jesus, but God at that moment opened your heart to pay attention to what was being said, and then you were born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of the Lord Jesus became yours. I love this quote from Ray Ortland last Sunday. He said, when we hand ourselves over to Jesus, I love that, 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 that picture, he brings all of his accomplishments of the past into the reality of our lives. We are not on probation with Christ when we're born again, but on track for complete grace. When you say yes to Jesus, when you give your heart to Jesus, everything he's accomplished in his, in his ministry in the past is, is available now to you. His power and his grace and his mercy and his love and his contentment through trials and suffering, all of that. In fact, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, he makes you an apostle. Not like the term that was used to define the, the, the 12 apostles. Of course, Judas had to be replaced by Matthias, and then we know that Paul became an apostle untimely born because he had seen Jesus, and Jesus called him into the ministry. Not like those guys who had literally seen Jesus face to face and been with him in his ministry. But apostle simply means sent one. A one who is sent. Did not Jesus send us in Matthew 28? Go into all the world and make disciples of, of the nations, didn't he? So if you're born again, you are an apostle. You've been sent. You've been called to live your life in a way that people will want to know why you live so differently than the rest of the world and how can I know peace and joy and life abundant like you do. Even if they don't ask, we can still tell them, can't we? We've been sent with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And when we tell people about Jesus and we speak to someone who is an elect exile, although we don't know who those are, those elect exiles will pay attention to what is being spoken to them. And the Spirit, at the time of the Lord's choosing, will bring them to life. It may not be the moment you speak to them. Remember, Paul said, some sowed and others watered. But who gives the increase? But God gives the increase. Right? So the apostles preached. They were obedient to the ministry to which God had called them. And then finally, they, they, this indescribable gift God has given to, you, to me leads us to angels' dream. This is what angels dream about. Look at the last part of verse 12. Preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. What things? What things do they long to look in? Well, earlier Peter had said the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, the things of salvation. Angels, listen, this is amazing. Angels desperately long to understand grace. They're in heaven and they're just wondering about this grace. What is this grace? Right, the word here you, Peter uses for 
or look into. It describes the action of straining to see something. It's intense desire or longing that engages the affections. You know, it's, it's, it's like we all experience when we walk into a bakery <laughs> or into an ice cream shop, right? I long to look into that chocolate croissant with my lips. I long to experience that hot fudge sundae with my tongue, right? And that's, that's what's being described here. The angels are licking their chops to understand grace. Why? Because the picture here of Peter, uh, uh, these angels leaning over the precipice of heaven, trying to understand all of this, is because fallen angels aren't in heaven. They've lo- they're lost forever. They're going to be in hell. So these are not the fallen angels. These are the ones who stayed with God, but they don't understand grace. Why? Because they didn't need grace. The wonder of God, and by the way, and Jesus is right there with them. They see the Son of, of, of God seated by, the, by, the, by God, and they see His nail-scarred hands and His feet, and they, and they wonder at the, the picture of this man, this perfect being who became a perfect human being, leaving heaven and dying on a cross for these rebellious human creatures who shake their fist in God's face. And they wonder at this, that these these people have been born again to a living hope and have received an inheritance, and they will be co-heirs with Christ, and yes, they will judge angels one day. Angels long to understand this, and that's part of God's eternal purpose. I never understood that until this week when I... I read this verse in, in Ephesians again. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints, Paul writes, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who's that? Who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? That's the angels. You get that? Angels are learning from the church because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is on display in our lives. Knuckleheads like us who receive the grace of the Lord Jesus, angels look and they learn what grace is like as much as they are able to vicariously they experience grace through us. What an amazing picture. What an amazing gift that we have been given by God. There's nothing better than grace. Another quote from Ray Orland said last week. He said, you know what? Christianity is for those who stink at Christianity. And that's not a, that's not, that's not a saying that, oh, so I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to obey Jesus. I can live any way, that, any way that I want to. No, that's not what he meant. But Christianity is not keeping a list of rules day by day. And when I do it all just right, then I'm really a good Christian. And when I mess up, I'm really not a good Christian. No, Christianity is for those who stink at it, who struggle, who fail, who don't do it right every day, but hold on with all our mights to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as he's holding on to us and will never, ever let us go.
And that's good news. That's good news for me. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about grace as we study this letter together. And we're going to experience grace in a moment when we take communion. So let's prepare our hearts for that. Father, we are thankful this morning that, that we uh, can trust every word of the Bible, that every word you've spoken to the prophets of old, to your apostles, that have been written down for us in these 66 books is true. And that we can learn from them and grow, grow in them and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our prayer this morning. And as we take communion, Lord, even as we take these elements into our bodies, may they nourish our souls and, and, and grow us in our love for and delight in the things of Christ. Lord, it's you that we long to see more clearly day by day and long to follow you more nearly day by day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.